I'm actually down to 250-something folks, but uh, we're Christians. Uh, we're targeted um, on Easter Sunday uh, by radical extremists, and um, boy, if you've seen the articles, you've seen the stories, you've, you hear, you know, 16 kids coming out of a Sunday school class, uh, walking to the sanctuary, and bomb goes off, and those kids... Uh, that's it. They, they go to, to meet the Lord. Uh, if you're not sobered by the, the, the warfare and the reality uh, of the world and the forces against God and our faith, uh, then we're not really awake and alive. And so we should, one, be really thankful for the privileges we have in our country to assemble freely to worship. Uh, and we should be on our knees consistently praying for our brothers and sisters around the world that are suffering, suffering dearly. Um, we do believe God uses those sufferings for his good and for his glory. Um, but I want to pray for them as well as others around the world that are being persecuted today. We can pray also um, for our own city. Uh, there are many great churches in our area, others that are coming to Midtown, Downtown. And we want to pray God to bless the work in the city. The gospel would advance despite trials and persecution and suffering that he would continue to build his church as he said he would do. One final thing I wanted to pray for is uh, Leanne Alford, uh, her, uh, her aunt, who, her mother's sister, who she was very close to, uh, passed away today uh, from cancer. She's been battling that, but it kind of came sooner than expected. So Leanne, and I believe the girls uh, went to Mississippi this afternoon, and so I want to pray for them as well. And I, I know there are others among us that are struggling and dealing with things. Um, I know of financial struggles, I know of uh, depression, I know of other situations in this room among us. And so uh, let's be mindful to pray for one another as we'll do now. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, we are humbled to to be so free to come and worship. Uh, We have churches on almost every corner, and um, we know that's not the case around the world. So we pray for particularly those in Sri Lanka, we pray for the faithful witness. Read of the pastor of one of the churches saying that the, they, would, they have forgiven, um, they've forgiven those that have caused such great harm. Lord, I, I can't imagine. Uh, only if the gospel's true is that possible. But I, I pray for the work of your spirit in that country. I'm reminded of uh, that saying, I think it was Tertullian, that the, uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church that somehow and suffer how you build your church and pray in that country that uh, is largely Buddhist and some uh, radical Muslims that the church of Jesus Christ would be faithful and would grow and would thrive. I pray for Christians persecuted around the world and that the gospel would continue to bear fruit even this very hour. I pray for our city. We need it. We need it in race relations. We need it in communities. We need it in different neighborhoods. We need the gospel. So we pray for faithful churches here that met this morning or meet this evening, that they would proclaim the truth about who you are and what you have done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. May it be so in our city. And may we partner with other churches that are doing just that. We pray um, for those in our midst that are struggling, that are dealing with all kind of challenges, job loss or Uh, depression, uh, just discouragement, uh, battling with addiction and struggles of all types. Lord, I pray for your grace and for your mercy to be with us tonight. Help us. Help us get help where we need help. 
Help us pull in together as community as you've called us to. Finally, we pray for Leanne and Ryan and their family and Leanne's family as they grieve. Lord, attune to them, be near to them, bring comfort and peace to them, and be glorified in this situation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as we get started, I want to just encourage everyone uh, for the last, last Easter weekend. I know many people invited people to Good Friday or to the Easter egg hunt or to the service. And we had many people come and visit for the first time at one of those three things. And so I just want to encourage you with that. It's a great sign of a church that's healthy and growing, is inviting. And I know a lot of us invited people and they didn't come or they said they couldn't come this time. So I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to be encouraged that we continue to move out and to ask and to be bold and to invite and to be a community that's welcome. A community that allows people to come in and to visit and to know uh, something of our community together. So I'm encouraged by that and uh, I want to encourage us to continue to do that. Um, I think that's a great sign of a healthy, of a healthy church. We're starting a new series, series on Philippians. We uh, celebrated last week the resurrection. Um, but we are, we are people of the resurrection every Sunday, right? This is resurrection day again because Jesus has risen. And so we live in light of that. And we live in light of that with joy. And I wanted to try to capture that. And what better way to capture that over these next 8, 10, 12 weeks through the book of Philippians. If you know the book of Philippians, Paul had gone to Philippi on a couple of his missionary journeys. Acts chapter 16 details that. And he meets Lydia and she is converted. He meets uh, he gets thrown in jail, and he meets uh, the flip. Uh, he's miraculously freed, and he doesn't leave. And so the jailer, the Philippian jailer, he converts, and uh, a great work of God. A church pl is planted in Philippi, and in the midst of that, Paul's writing again here to that church, whom he's visited a couple of times, but now he's 800 miles away in a Roman prison, Acts chapter 28. Paul's in prison. Paul's suffering. Paul's facing trials, and Paul's writing to this church, these people, and saying, have joy. This book, in four chapters, there's 14 references to joy. Did I mention he's in prison, he's suffering, he's trials, he's away from people, and he's talking about joy, contentment. Um, what a better, there's probably no better word for us than that today, right? We have so much, and yet we're so anxious, aren't we? Are you anxious? Are you stressed? Uh, we're, we're stressed about our blessings. <laughs> we're stressed about good things. We're stressed about things we have to do to, to the houses that we have and the cars that we have and the jobs that we have. We're stressed and anxious. And Paul, he'll say later in chapter 4, he's learned the secret of contentment. Whether in plenty or in want, to be content and find joy in the Lord. So we want to be people of joy. And so we're going to look at Philippians together would you stand uh, as we read these uh, verses? We're going to look at verses 1 to 14, a little bit longer section tonight. This is opening prayer. I'm going to read it, and we'll dive in here. Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from our, from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. And there's our word there, joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart 
For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. Partnerships. So we need partnerships. Um, that's why one of the reasons we planned this church together, right? Nelson's and the offers. We realize that we need partnerships. Partnerships can be helpful, can be dynamic. There's some uh, famous business partnerships. You may know of Bill Gates and Paul Allen. They formed a little company called Microsoft. You may have heard of it. Uh, Bill Hewlett and David Packard, they formed Hewlett Packard. One of my favorites is Ben and Jerry, came up with a great combination. There's my Vermont right there, Ben and Jerry. A great combination of ice cream, right? Partnerships, uh, famous partnerships in, 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 uh, in movies. We got uh, Batman and Robin, of course. Um, we, we've got uh, Sonny and Cher. Um, there's Bonnie and Clyde. Um, there's some sports ones, uh, Montana and Rice, one of my favorites, grew up a 49ers fan, Stockton and Malone, remember them, basketball, can't, can't miss them, of course Siskel and Ebert, two thumbs up for those guys, partnerships are important, and a c- couple other favorites, there's peanut butter and jelly, they go well together, my kids don't like jelly actually, they put honey on it, so it's actually been a problem for me for most of their childhood. So peanut butter and honey just doesn't quite have the same ring, but I digress. And of course, macaroni and cheese. I wonder what your favorite partnership is. You could probably think of a thousand more uh, partnerships. Um, Paul's going to talk about partnerships. He says in verse 5, um, there's a partnership in the gospel. Um, and and Uh, He's talking more than just business partnerships. He's actually talking more than friendship, though we need friendship. He's talking something more significant, that there's a deeper root, a deeper place of connection found in the gospel. And in that partnership together, we both honor the Lord and we find joy together. So we need partnerships. Uh, That word in verse 5 He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word partnership is the word koinonia. We know that in the Greek means what? Fellowship. There's this deep partnership, deep connection of God's people, Paul's saying. We're marked out for something, to do something. It's this fellowship that we are gathered together. So we gather, and it's it's more than a bottom line dollar, more than a company's success. It's for the sake of the gospel. So we assemble today in a unique way to be mar- because we're marked out in fellowship and koinonia for connection, for purpose. What are the markers of this partnership? We're going to look at three markers, three things that say we've, we've, we've tapped in together as a community of people to partnership. What is it? The first thing I want you to see is this, this gospel partnership. There should be a deep affection. Deep affection for one another. Um, if you have scripture, verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. 
always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. I'm, I'm remembering you. When I pray, when I think, I'm in prison. But when I pray, I think about you. And it's just fond memories. I'm thankful for you. It says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Paul says that. I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, he says, For God is my witness. In other words, this is not flattery. God is my defense. I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's, that's strong language, isn't it? Is that a little odd to you? Uh, have you ever, uh, ladies, maybe you've witnessed this, guys, maybe you've experienced this. I mean, when guys that have a deep connection of friendship, uh, guys that we love one another, it gets really awkward to say that. You ever notice that, guys? Like right now, every guy's like, like not making eye contact. If you're a man, you have another man that's, that you're really connected with in, in a friendship. It, 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 we don't say like, I love you very well, you know? We're like, yeah, bro, man, yeah, love you, man, yeah, dude, yeah. And then the other person says, yeah, me too, it's great, you know. We, we kind of like, we can't just say I love you, period. We got to say, we'll say, yeah, I love y'all. We'll like make it plural or, you know, we'll, we, we do something. Yeah, dude, yeah, that's right, yeah, I appreciate you too. It's this awkwardness because it's really intimate to say like, I love you. And um, Paul says, I hold you with deep affection in my heart. Isn't that weird? I mean, Paul, this is like the Apostle Paul, right? The theologian. He wrote Romans. This is like theology. This is hardcore doctrine. He's saying, I hold you. It is right for me as God is my witness. I yearn for you so much with the affection of Jesus Christ. That is weird language. And yet, when the gospel takes root in partnership, there's deep affection. Paul's gushing over the Philippians. It's a little awkward. I think it comes as we begin to understand our partnership in Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Where are those deep connections formed? They're formed in trial, aren't they? Paul was imprisoned in Philippi, and they came, and they, they visited. Now they've sent Epaphrodites. They've sent to Paul, probably to bring some money, maybe some food, but certainly some money to attend to Paul. Their relationship has been forged in trial and difficult. When, when are you bonded together? Uh, you know, you hear this with soldiers. One of the challenges you hear of men and women that have been off at war, and they come back. It's not just that they've experienced trauma, though they have. But what's happened, they've lost that community. I mean, you get pretty tight when you're in the foxhole, right? When your life is on the line, you don't care what color they are, you don't care where they're from, you're bonded because of this moment. There's trial, there's affliction. And Paul says, you were with me in the same way. Sports teams, if, if you've heard any coach after they win the national championship, the Super Bowl, what do they say? It was a trial the whole time, you know. We had affliction. They could be like 100 five-star players. The whole year was, you know, Dabo Sweeney last year after, uh, after Clemson beat Alabama. You know, there's probably no two more talented teams than Alabama and Clemson. And, you know, and, and Dabo Sweeney, the coach of Clemson, is like, you know, it was just a tough go all year, you know. We were down and out. It was so much adversity. And in that adversity, we bonded together and we fought the good fight and we overcame the trials. Every coach says that. 
because the team bonds through challenge and trial, right? There's something true about that. Uh, my own experience, I was in uh, first year seminary. I was in Greek, and we were in the bottom of Rayburn Chapel at Covenant Seminary. And uh, one of my best friends, he's one of my best friends now, is named Chad. He's a church planner uh, in, in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And he sat beside me, and our Greek professor had a family emergency. And so we had uh, Dr. Jack Collins as my professor, who's a Hebrew professor, but he taught Greek because he knew like five languages. He's written several study Bibles and so forth. And so he was in there, and we were all scared to death of him. And so we're beside each other, and he's from, you know, Wisconsin, you know, he had a car, you know, and I can't understand anything he's saying, and he cannot understand. He thinks I'm the biggest redneck in the world with y'all. He can't understand me. I can't understand him. We can't understand Greek, and we have Dr. Collins. We are like fear and trembling. And our relationship was bonded because every day after class for a year and a half, through Greek 1, 2, and 3, we went to the library for four or five hours and tried to parse verbs and figure out syntax and figure out noun declensions. And so we were, we were, would we have been friends if we had met in another class? I don't know. But we were so traumatized and afraid. Maybe you've had this, maybe med school's done this to you. Like you're bound because you struggled to survive. Paul was there trying to plant this church and he's imprisoned and the Philippians were there and so they're bound together in trial and trauma together. How much more? How much more should we as the church be bound together? How much more should we talk about each other that we hold each other with the, with the affection of Christ? We're, we're not in, you know, we're in the, the foxhole of life. We're praying for surgeries and for, for, for babies and for death and for depression and sickness. We're fighting real battles together and we're called to hold each other with deep affection Deep connection. It says, you are all partakers with me of grace. Why would we do that? Because we're all here together naming that we've been recipients of grace. We've known something of forgiveness. We've known something of God's goodness. And so you know it, and I know it, and you know it, and I know it. Like, hey, yeah, me too. I've been forgiven too. I'm struggling too. Oh, you are too? Yeah. Why don't we care for one another? It's, it's deeper than social clubs. It's deeper than sports. It's a bond in the gospel. I know many in here are lonely. Whether you're single or you're married or kids, no kids, many of us are lonely. Many of us are struggling. We're called to partner together in the gospel with deep affection. Deep affection. The second thing, second marker, not only is there deep affection for one another, the second marker of this gospel partnership is reliance upon God with one another. Reliance upon God with one another. Um, the affection's deep. We want to care for each other. We want good for one another. Um, but ultimately, our confidence is not in each other. Our confidence is in the Lord. Uh, I, I want well for you, and I, as a pastor, want to help that happen. And I want you to help each other, but ultimately we can't make that happen. Did you know that? Our confidence is actually in the Lord. He says that in verse 6. You know this verse, right? It's on a, on a t-shirt somewhere. He says this, for being, I am sure of this, confidence. I'm confident of this. My reliance, my hope is in this, that he who began a good work in you, what's that? That's confidence in the past. Where does salvation come? 
Where did this work of the Spirit happen in you? God did it in you. He who began a good work in you, in the past tense, I believe for you, that he's going to carry it on to the day of Christ Jesus. That's confidence in the future, right? I'm relying, I'm trusting God with you, believing and seeing he's already done a work in you, and I believe he's going to continue to do the work in you to God's justified us by grace and he's changing us or sanctifying us also by grace. You know, road construction is uh, annoying and frustrating. Some of you experienced that over here on Florida Street. And that thing's got me like several times, particularly when the other side was down, the other side of Dolphin. You know, you're going, oh crap, you know, you got to go around or figure out another way, cut through somebody's yard or try not to get hit by a train. You know, you got to go around and it's annoying or it's bumpy roads, you know, all, um, you know, it's, it's part of life because constru- road construction means progress or should mean progress, right? Like better roads, more lanes, better sewers or whatever's happening underneath. Like something's happening. And that's true for us. I mean, we're, um, you know, if, if, if you're uh, struggling in this room to love someone, um, just wait. They're, they're getting better. They're actually growing. We're, we're all under construction. God's working all of us. It might be some bumps. It may be some, some detours. It may be hard. God, that person annoys me. Uh, but God's at work in them if they belong to him. He began a good work. He's going to complete that good work. God's committed to our growth. What's that confidence? What does that look like for Paul? How does he practically rely upon God for one another? Well, practically, he prays. I mean, he's in prison. What else is he going to do, right? He's in prison. He's locked down. I'm going to write, encourage, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. That sounds great, but it's hard to do, isn't it? Uh, Ryan and I were meeting with a, a mentor this week, a guy named Zach Eswine, and uh, we were talking about various things of life, talking about pastoral ministry, the kingdom of God, and he was talking about sometimes busyness uh, is laziness. Have you heard that phrase? Sometimes busyness is laziness. Uh, we're like, well, what, what, do you, what do you mean by that, Zach? He said sometimes we, we busy ourselves, we do lots of things and activities so we don't really do the weightier, deeper things, <laughs> the hard things. So in our context, pastorally, we, we scurry to make things happen, to plant a church, to be busy, to do things, to make it. And that's a whole lot easier than actually spending a lot of time in prayer, isn't it? Prayer's hard. <laughs> or pouring over the scripture to ask God to work. And in your own life. It's way easier to get busy doing something than to be active and praying and asking God to transform your character and to shape you. (laughs) Busyness can be a smokescreen. It can really be laziness. It can be sitting on the couch eating a tub of ice cream, working 85, 90 hours, and actually not attending to the weightier things that God intends. Because the hard things are the things of the heart, right? The transformation of the heart. Again, not against working hard. We're called to work hard. It's not the point. The point is that we're called to do the weightier things, and often that's prayer. Paul's praying here. What's he going to pray? He starts in verse 3. 
He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you in every prayer with joy. But before I move on to asking, before we ask God for one another, this person, would you please work in their life? Let me thank God for what he's done. <laughs> I, when I think of you, I remember you, and I know what God's done in your life. I hope you do that for our church. Do you know we, we start our first service in October? Did you know that? You know, last week with Easter, we had 50-something people joining the church, and there are more people that want to join, and we're doing ministry in the city. We're engaging one another. Do, do we thank God for that? We should. God is at work. Among, we're so forward-thinking. We want, we want to build, we want to do, and yet we fail to thank. Paul starts by thanking. These people have brought joy to him. They've ministered to him. But then in verse 9, it, it turns to supplication. It turns to asking. If you feel powerless um, in your world, prayer's a good solution. You know, you ever had that? You ever been that place where like everything you do to try to make it work is not working? You can't have another conversation. You can't manipulate it. You can't call somebody. You can't call and yell at the person on their line. You can't work harder it's just not going to happen and you're stripped down and all you can do is the thing you probably should have been doing the whole time and just praying for them um i i know i struggle here my wife is a great example she's taught me much about prayer she prays um way more than i do paul prays here paul's um he, he, he's thankful for the Philippians, but he's gotten word there needs to be more work in Philippi. The church needs some things. So he says, uh, I'm going to pray that your love may abound more and more. Isn't that interesting? He prays for their love. You pray for other people's love? You know, Dwayne, I, I just want to pray for Dwayne that he would love more. He loves a lot. I'm thankful that he loves, but I pray he would love more. That's, a, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, you ever had somebody, you, you ever had somebody that really bothers you or you struggle to love and you prayed for them? Like really done that? Committed over time? I, I've, I've had that. I, I've found that it's really hard to hate someone or have disdain for them when you're praying for them. Even your enemy, it's hard to take them before the Lord in honesty. And it may be, it may start off with some strong language with Jesus, you know, <laughs> about this person. But it's hard to consistently go and your heart not be changed. We pray for love for one another. Paul prays. Uh, he prays for love. And then he prays. What kind of love? He says, uh, I want it to be um, with knowledge and all discernment. So I want you to love, but I want your love to be, to be wise and discernment. I, I got this from another pastor, a, a blog he wrote. He talked about the precision of Paul. Paul's wanting their love to be precise, like a, like a surgeon when he goes in. You, you don't want him to, like, you know, just, just get, get the general idea, you know. You, you want, like, the exact area extracted, right? You want the bend, you want the, the cut to be precise. You want it to be right. That's what he's saying here, you know, the, the, the violinist. You, you want it to be precise, the right angle, the right speed to get the note. Paul says, I want your love to have a fine point to it, that we love well with precision and care. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I, I didn't know anybody knew this. Someone in our midst, um, don't know them super well, came to me and they said, uh, I want you to know I've been thinking about you. Um, 
if I remember right, it was about a year ago that, that, your, that your mom died, wasn't it? And I was like, yeah. I, I didn't know who knew, you know. So, yeah, it was a year ago, and I remember that, and I, I've been thinking about you. And I don't know this person very well. Boy, that, that's precise, isn't it? I mean, that, that was precise love right in the heart. Paul's asking for our love like that. We, we all have places where we need each other to speak in, to step in with precision and skill and love. Focus prayers. The prayer, he says in verse 10, with all wisdom and discernment, for what reason? That you may have the ability to approve what is excellent and to be pure and blameless. I want you to love, and I want it to take on a maturity and a depth and a wisdom so that your character is shaped and changed. Love impacts your ethics, your life, your way of being. It's not just sort of generic, but it's wise, deep, discerning, knowledgeable love with content so that you live in a new way, blameless before the Lord. Um, talking to a friend Friday for breakfast, and uh, we were talking about discipleship. And so often we want discipleship to be a program, to be a book or a content so I can finish it and end it, check the box, and it's done, right? And we need content, and we need books, and we need structure. But discipleship is of the heart. Jesus took the men with him as he went. He was changing their hearts. Paul's praying for that to happen because you know what? We can't change each other's hearts. Did you know that? We can't bring salvation or what we call justification, and we can't bring growth or transformation. We can do studies. We can expose ourselves to God's word, but God has to change and work in the heart back to why he's praying because God has the ability to change. And so Paul prays. It, listen, if we're going to be a community of gospel partnerships, deep affection for one another and reliance upon God for each other, we, we need to be lifting each other up. I, I, I need to do better. I need to do more of that. Uh, and I want to encourage us all to do that. Let's pray for one another. There's a lot to pray for. There's a lot unknown we need to make known in, in ways that you feel comfortable so we can pray for each other. Third and final, briefly, point here. Deep affection, reliance upon God with one another. The third marker, there's a shared goal. Shared goal with one another. Well, I've already called it gospel partnerships. We know the gospel is that thing that unites us. Uh, that's the reality, but there's something else. There's an end to which all of this happens. We see it twice in that, in that prayer. He says that you may approve what is excellent in verse 10 and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. What's the day of Christ? It's the, the day Christ returns, the day of glory. Verse 6, being confident of this, that you began a good work, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus when he returns at the fullness of his glory. The end game, the goal is glory. It's glory. We partner in the goal, the end, the longing, and we live this day for that day. At the very end of the prayer, you may be blameless and pure for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's character, it's transformation that comes through Jesus Christ to what end? 
to the glory and the praise of God. Chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The chief purpose of this church, the chief purpose of us walking with life together, of challenging each other, of meeting for worship, is for the praise and the glory of God. May that be so of us. May that be true. Um, we don't understand glory very well. We don't understand praise in our culture. Um, we think if we get praise or honor, if we're central, that brings life and satisfaction. Um, interesting story. I was with my Little League team a couple weeks ago, and um, the coach, I'm the assistant coach, head coach says, let's pray, put, put our hands in, we're going to pray. So we prayed, the coach prayed, and uh, we got done, and one of the, the kids said, Coach Ben, I, I'm not gonna, I don't want to pray. I don't, I don't have to pray. And I said, no, buddy, you don't, you don't have to pray. And I said, uh, yeah, you don't have to pray at all. He goes, I just, don't, I just don't believe any of that stuff, you know. I think it's all, it's not true. He's kind of got this angry face. He's a nine-year-old. I said, no, you know. I said, well, you know, a lot, a lot of people do, do believe it's true. I said, but you certainly don't have to. I said, well, what, what, do you, what do you believe, you know? He said, well, I believe in like Thor and like, you know, Zeus and like the Greek gods, you know, and. So we start talking about Greek mythology, ask him who his favorite was. He likes Poseidon, you know. And so we're talking, and uh, we're talking about it. And, uh, and he said, I just don't think it, it just seems selfish. This is from a nine-year-old. This is selfish. I said, well, it's selfish. He said, God, I mean, this is happening right before the game. You know, they're warming up, and we're having this philosophical conversation here. And uh, he says, uh, he says, um, yeah, it's just selfish. I mean, God wants us to praise him. Like, God made, you know, we believe God made us to praise him, to worship him. Uh, but wow, that's interesting. You hear that from, like, the atheists, right? The new atheist movements. You hear that, that, you know, God's a narcissist. He creates us because he's, he needs us to pat him on the back and praise him. Oh, we praise you, we praise you, because God's somehow lacking something. He's self-absorbed. You know, we have that conversation, like, you know, in the, the philosophy department, um, but we're having on the baseball field. And I said, well, it, it could be selfish. I said, but what if, I said, what, what, if, what if God were the best thing? What if God were the best thing? And then if God didn't ask for the best thing for you, that would be selfish, wouldn't it? That wouldn't be very loving, would it? So if God's the best, then he has to ask for the best thing to happen for you. And he says, well, I still, I still don't want to pray. I said, you don't have to pray, buddy. I said, but if you ever want to talk again, and uh, our, our group's coming in here. I said, if you ever want to talk again, I'd be happy to. The third inning, I was in the dugout, kind of encouraging the guys, and he's, he looked at me. He's got this stern face. He goes, maybe we can talk more about that sometime later. <laughs> Isn't that great? A nine-year-old. He's heard it somewhere, Right? That, that, that we need to be about us, self-esteem, self-worth, self-value. And the truth of it is, we all, we're made for glory. We're made to glory and to praise in another. Uh, no one enjoys the beach or the mountains or whatever it is you enjoy and, and looks at something so grand and so vast and says, man, I feel so important right now, Right? You get raptured in the moment and the bigness of it, and somehow you fade away, but you also experience joy. Isn't that weird? You diminish God, the bigness of who he is increases, and we find joy and satisfaction. That's what Paul's saying. There's joy 
and life not being about us to the praise of his glory. We need to partner together. We need to spur one another on in God's glory. Life is serious, um, but there is serious joy to be had. And I think if we partner together with deep affection, that's going to take some work because we like to be private and we're not real open with vulnerability and I don't want you to know I'm a business and I don't want to be cared for. And, but if we, if we do that and if we, we don't just try to fix each other, but we actually take each other to Jesus and then we're constantly saying, no, worship him, he's so good. Like, just praise him, I promise. If we do it together, we'll find joy. Let's come back next week and do it again. Let's meet for coffee this week and let's praise. Enjoy. That's gospel partnership. Let's, Christ Redeemer, let's pursue that. We will bring him glory and we will find joy. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for our time together to gather. And um, there's so much in those verses. Uh, but we know we are so inadequate to capture the full effect of it. But thank you that Paul models for us something of what it means to have a heart that's caught on fire with the gospel. And it's not just him, but he says, hey, me and Timothy are gonna do it. And then all the Christians at Philippi, and we're gonna be connected together, and we're gonna partner, and we're gonna struggle, and we're gonna have affection, and we're gonna pray, and we're gonna wrestle for the praise of your glory and for our joy. God, we'll be that kind of community. We're not, we need that, Jesus. Make us that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please rise?